You know, education is a lifelong thing. Education goes beyond the classroom. Uh, and there's so much learning that takes place beyond the classroom. I think this important part over here for us right now, as I was trying to uh, explain earlier with my stories and examples, is that we need to connect, helping students to connect, that learning never stops in school uh, and or beyond school. Alvarez and I want to welcome you to Building Sustainable Innovation, a space designed to explore with leaders around the world and from different industries, their stories and practices to cultivate agility, provoke creativity, foster innovation and embrace change. This podcast is an invitation to rethink our idea about innovation, to let it unfold, inspire and learn from each other. In a world where change is the only constant in our lives, it shouldn't be so hard. In today's episode, I speak with Dr. Samson Tan, head of the Center for Innovation in Learning at the National Institute of Education in Singapore. To give all of you some context, the National Institute of Education in Singapore is part of the Nyan Technological University and the Seoul Education Institute for Teachers in Singapore. Prior to joining the National Institute of Education, Samsung was involved in the Skills Future Movement spearheading the lifelong learning and workplace learning initiatives. Samsung graduated with a Doctor of Education from the University of Western Australia in 2007, and his research interest is in learning innovation and transformation. In these inspiring conversations, Samsung shares his vision on forward-thinking education models, skills for the future, what does it mean to create learner-centric environments, and why diversity is the key not only to innovate, but to find what we really like. I hope you find this conversation as inspiring as I did. So it's time to listen and to enjoy. Welcome to the Building Sustainable Innovation podcast. Samsung is really a pleasure and an honor to have you here today. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you for having me, Anna, and a uh, pleasure to be here. Great. So I would like to start this conversation by asking you about your background, especially I'm interested in knowing why did you become a teacher and how did you transition into the innovation space within education. Right, yeah, I, I, I think I've uh, said some of this in the past, uh, but uh, not many people believe it that I got into the innovation work by accident, honestly. Uh, and it has got a lot to do, to do with how I got into the teaching and education fraternity. So uh, the truth is that uh, teaching is not my first job. Uh, I was uh, quite uh, 
although I, I very much wanted to get into that when I was in the university. And uh, then came along a company who came to a campus for recruitment uh, and uh, they sounded very interesting and very convincing. So I was, in a way, my friend put it this way, I got lured into the private sector. So I started working for this company called Procter & Gamble uh, in the um, uh, sales and marketing uh, work. Although my major at that point of time was uh, in physics. So I, I was very much deep in uh, you know, quantum physics and all that, all getting ready to go into the acad academy. Uh, but then I, I, I got involved in this company. And it was really interesting learning experience for me. Yeah. And one of those memorable parts whereby my boss uh, did uh, tell me or rather helped me to correct, not, not so much correct, but helped me to see the vision of learning was when he said that uh, when we come out with this fantastic uh, marketing plan, uh, who are your target audience? Would they like what you are seeing? Or is it interesting? Is it important to them? So I thought that was really a, a rabbit, moment of revelation. This is like I, I was so deep into looking at things from my perspective, and I have not realized that uh, when you start to think about your audience, when you start to think about the receiver of those marketing messages, uh, what are the important factors to consider? And so the company was one of the earliest to start looking at uh, customer-centric strategies. And so it's like that actually, I didn't know that at that point of time, but at the later stage, as I reflect uh, on uh, my learning uh, process, I realized that that laid the foundations of my belief in education. Um, as you can see, customer-centric strategies, learner-centric kind of uh, learning strategies, they are actually the two sides of the same coin. Yeah, so that's why when I got into education, that somehow rather begins to help me to question the kind of uh, the ways in which we were uh, uh, teaching the classroom, helping our learners learn, does it really work? Yeah, and, and when I first started uh, my teacher training, uh, and that was the time when my uh, lecturers were introducing this idea of uh, learner-centered teaching, discovery learning, and that was very early stage uh, in the 90s. And that I took to that like fish to water because that was really late uh, down in my mind before I joined the fraternity. And so that's uh, how I got myself started. And that's how uh, it, um, you know, is that one thing leads to another. Uh, let's pause this for a while and see whether there are any other questions you have. Yeah, yeah so just to cl clarify a bit, you were working as part of the marketing department in Procter and Gamble, and what? When was it that you say like, okay, I want to train myself as a teacher and move into more, uh, in, yes, into teaching? I, I'm just curious about when. Ah, you're okay. I, I get what you mean. But you see, in, the interesting part that when I first started my course in university, I was really uh, getting myself ready for teaching work. Uh, because of the kind of discipline I was in. I was, I was reading physics in science, very steep in that, and uh, didn't think about any other career except uh, uh, teaching, whether it's in, in the K-12 school or in the higher education, which is what I am right now uh, in, in my institution. So that's, that's very much a uh, course that I would set for myself. 
I would say that the, the venture into the private sector was in a way a detour. As I reflect on my life, I find that that was a very good detour. And it, it, it plays in me uh, the learning opportunities that I would otherwise not have. Uh, have I not uh, taken uh, the route, uh, the, the route that is uh, unconventional in a way for those of us who aspire to become teachers uh, in our various stations in the fraternity? Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, this teacher was the one or was where it triggered the questions of learner-centric mm -hmm. approaches and asking yourself about, okay, maybe we should start thinking about the experience in this case of, of the student. That's right. That's right. In fact, this is one of the uh, questions which I think is important for our learners, our students. So when I come to uh, advising my students, so I, I, I do ask them to try to have a more diverse kind of experience before they settle down on a certain path or a certain discipline that they think they want to. And I think along the way, there are lessons that we learn. There are lessons in which we perhaps later on find useful that at the point of time, we didn't realize. Yes, absolutely. I really see diversity as a, as a key element in not only innovation, but only, yes, deciding what do we want to do. You just mentioned your current institute, so I want to move a little bit more into, into what you currently do as part of the head of the Center for Innovation in Learning at the National Institute of Education. So what role does it play in forward thinking education? What are your, your responsibilities, especially if we take into consideration that Singapore is known as having one of the best, if not the best, education systems in the world. Thank you, Anna, for asking that question. I am actually feeling very privileged uh, to be where I am right now, as uh, as you mentioned, as the head of the Center for Innovation in Learning. As uh, the title of our center speaks for itself, that uh, we are very much uh, part or even at the driving seat of uh, um, bringing about innovations. It comes out from uh, our institution. So when I first started uh, with this uh, center, uh, I, I I find that a lot of the kind of work, great work that my colleagues uh, they were already doing here at the center was working uh, for the with the faculty, uh, producing or helping them to bring about their innovations, uh, and a lot of this is creating solutions for them. I started to question, again, it goes back to my origin of uh, questioning about the way that we do things. I started to question, is it, why is it that we are doing things for them? Uh, why is it that we are not uh, looking at uh, creating a new solution with them? Yeah. Although by and large, we were doing quite a bit of that. Some of my colleagues were actually working with uh, faculty to create all that. Uh, but I think the important part for us to be able to drive the innovation even further, better, is that when we are able to equip our faculty to be able to do some of this work, to equip our faculty to be able to do some of uh, um, the work that particularly involving learning technologies, we, then I started to ask how equipped ourselves are. And so that is the part, that is the time when I started to 
start changing things, the roles that we play, redefine the kind of roles that my, my colleagues and I are doing over here in the center of uh, innovation uh, in learning. And so we, we have learning strategies, we have learning technologies, we have uh, the uh, digital media folks, and of course we have a few programmers as well. So in a way, we were like, uh, we are a, 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 a multi-specialty kind of a center but we are doing too much of the doing part and not so much of the conceptualizing and uh, working with faculty. So I'm beginning to change things about uh, getting uh, more collaborative work among ourselves and then getting them to be able to question the, our own work that we are doing. And, uh, and I think uh, uh, my colleagues experienced uh, quite a bit of changes ever since I got into this space over here. And uh, uh, since then, we are able to uh, do some of the research work that we have never been doing. So I've been nudging and pushing. So I asked my colleagues, so when are you going to get a PhD? Yeah, for those of them who already had their master's degree, then I've been nudging my colleagues. Oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. Where are you going to get your master's degree? Uh, in, uh, anyway, we are in the university. It's, uh, it's, it's very close to uh, the, this, this access to learning. And so that's, we have started this whole process of equipping ourselves, getting ourselves closer and better when it comes to uh, working with our faculty. I think the important part about convincing our faculty to come on board with us on innovative work is that we need, they need to know what we are working on. They need to know that we understand their content knowledge, in this case, in pedagogical innovation and development. And so the better we are equipped, the, the better it is for us to be able to enroll them and get them on board with us. So this is the way that we think and this is the way that uh, we work. And so far, uh, from my point of view at least, I think it's working well. And uh, we are also seeing that my colleagues uh, are getting more involved in uh, teaching, co-teaching with uh, the faculty. And the next step for us to, to do is that uh, we will start to uh, um, do some collaborative research work together. I think this is also helping my colleagues to skill up and uh, for the brief 21st century as well. Yeah. Yes, and I'm curious about knowing how the adoption of these innovative approaches to teaching and learning mm. has shaped the students' learning, learning experience. And I would like, if possible, for you to give me an example about how this works. Sure. Yeah, this, this is some of those exciting things that we are doing over here. Uh, and I, I think it's important part about, for us uh, to not just within our institution, but for those of us who are in um, student teacher training, we ask ourselves in the 21st century, this is the future we are already here. Uh, what are important skills? Uh, what are the role of a teacher? Yeah, this is the kind of perennial questions that we have been asking ourselves. So uh, without, um, with the risk of uh, oversimplifying the work that so many of my colleagues in, uh, that have done, but I think I would distill them the three main things that what uh, the role of a teacher has changed. The teacher would first become uh, the architect of learning environment. So we need to create learning environments that nurture the kind of set skills that uh, we, we talked about. And then the second thing which what a teacher needs to do uh, it's not a dispenser of, not, of, of, of knowledge like what we used to experience when we were in school, but to become a facilitator of learning, the facilitator of knowledge. 
It's not we can't implant the knowledge on our students by telling them, by forcing them. We need to help them make sense of whatever they, they can get out from, not just textbook. Just look at the internet. It's full of uh, information. How do we make sense of all this? Some of them can be rubbish, and the students uh, probably won't know when the, they are exposed to all that. And then finally, of course, in the context of the K-12 education, I think it's very important for our teacher to be the shaper of character. Uh, I, I choose to, we, we choose based on our research that, that uh, shaper is better than uh, just molding the character. Molding tells us that we want a standard, certain standard shapes that comes out from our students. But the world has changed so fast, so quickly, that it is no longer true that you can mold, and in fact, not ideal to mold any student's character. But I think a student needs to find their own shape uh, in their character. And so this is important for us to have well-firmed grounding, of course, yeah, but at the same time, help students to find their own footing. So that's the kind of, in a nutshell, uh, looking at the role of uh, the teacher of the future, if you like, or future-ready teacher, if you like, to go into the classroom uh, to be able to do just that. So to give you one example of the pedagogical innovations, how do we, you know, is it so difficult to help to help teachers to become that way that I just mentioned to you. I think teachers themselves or student teachers themselves need to experience that, that we need to moderate for them over here uh, in the institution. I would uh, highlight one particular project that uh, uh, not my work, not under my purview. When I first came, I saw, I already seen my colleague, uh, the learning strategies that have collaborated with our faculty and created uh, such a learning environment. Uh, we call it uh, the Singapore Kaleidoscope. And uh, it is very well named, uh, very correctly named. I'll explain that later on. The purpose of this program is basically to train our student teachers, equip them to be able to do, uh, uh, eventually teach social studies, right? So it's a humanities program. So in humanities program, I think uh, there's, um, the, the, there's this particular pedagogy that we call appreciative inquiry. Uh, in a nutshell, it means that you cannot develop a certain meaning of uh, the environment that you live in, uh, in your society, until you start to appreciate what it has to offer, right? So appreciate inquiry begins with that. And so uh, the, 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 the look at it is that you, you can't teach it as a module, it's sit down, it's in the classroom and beginning to appreciate things around you. So it's, it requires a certain level of experiential learning. And it also requires a certain level of empowerment to students. We talk about student-centered uh, learning. So that's the best opportunity in this case to start doing that. So the students get to, to decide what would they like to learn. So this appreciative inquiry about uh, Singapore, they said, what is it in Singapore that has uh, certain meaning to the students? It could, is it history? Is it a part of Singapore? Is it about our natural environment, which is is a very scarce thing about a small uh, uh, city-state like us, but what is left of it? Uh, and is it, is, it, is it worth protecting all this our climate? Yeah. So even before we talk about climate, climate change in where it is today, the kind of uh, ferocity that we are moving for, at the point of time, people have already questioned that. So he said, okay, why don't we create uh, an, a learning environment that blends the physical as well as the digital? because we understand that our students are also very apt in using their 
uh, mobile devices. Uh, we also know that our students are very much taken to uh, social media very, very well. And so the learning shouldn't be uh, one that separates the physical and the digital. It shouldn't separate from the classroom and to uh, the, the, the physical environment that you're going to, since it's going to be experiential. So they choose a learning trail or a learning journey and they get to document it. So we created a digital environment which is social media-like. Social media-like, it is not social media, right? So they experience the, the, the ease of sharing with their friends. Well, we gave them a Google map that is integrated for them to drop their pins, which are the places they have been to, take their photos, share their photos, share their comments, and allow their friends to come in and comment. So in a way, it's like a learning environmental uh, environment and it's also a learning community. So we are creating a community of practice among them. You know, it's that like once they choose a certain learning journey, they are not able to do the others. So, but when their friends share what they have learned, they start to curate and co-construct this kind of meaning to them, to themselves. And it was a very exciting part because there was, you can see as, as, as teachers, as facilitators of learning, you can see the needles popping and you can see photos, notifications coming out. This student shared this, that student shared that. And, and it's very exciting for even myself to start witnessing uh, some of this learning and how the kind of excitement that, uh, that transcends beyond the classroom, that transcends the, the digital media. And, and then when the students come back together, we have uh, a symposium. We got someone coming to talk to them to marry up all this learning experience, someone from outside the institution. Uh, in our first iteration of that, we, we had a minister who came and talked about that. And what is important uh, uh, policies that drive some of this initiative that the students were so passionately involved in. And that was the excitement and a capstone of uh, the whole learning journey for the students. So it was very good and it's still running today and it has taken different iterations of uh, where we are today and evolved into part of this bigger program that we call values-based education. And uh, I think our Ministry of Education got uh, very excited about this and uh, a, a lot of this, um, uh, the core part of this program uh, has now made their way into what we call character education that the Ministry of Education are doing. So I think the impact has uh, has gone beyond uh, the uh, our institutions and uh, influencing not just uh, student teachers but also teachers in schools they are practicing uh, doing all that so that's that's one that I can think of immediately yes this is a really I think interesting story and also makes me think about two things that I am that I would like to ask you. The first one is with this story, I really think about if we are able to address education in this way and kind of come with all these elements of facilitating, collaborating, uh, merging physical with the digital, I do think this has a strong impact in the way students prepare themselves for the ever-changing environment of the 21st century. And what I'm trying to say here is I think that it's able, that 
these environments enable to um, for students to really become a bit more agile and to be able to thrive in yes in the world that we live nowadays what do do you agree with this oh definitely yeah yeah and uh, and uh, this is um, again not just coming from me but tons of research out there by uh, education uh, researchers and scholars uh, talking about even in the in the 90s we are talking about 21st century world uh, what are the core skills that we have there's a lot of that which is available collaborative learning reflective learners uh, global citizenship all that are in place you know it's like a lot of this is that we know connectively those are important things and then we need to do something about it Right. Earlier, I talked about the changing role of teachers. That's one. Yeah. So it's putting into practice our belief, our research tells us all that. Uh, I, I would say that um, the, the result that comes out from uh, knowing is that it's being implemented at an uneven level. Right. And I would say uneven level is that there, there are certain things, there are certain schools, certain institutions in the world that have done well and embrace it. And you start to see some of the very interesting results that comes out from that the kind of uh, works that are being done. But uh, I'll say that uh, it is easy to, to say, but very difficult and challenging to do because it involves us teachers to, to give up a certain kind of control that we are no longer the sage of the center of the uh, stage, sage of the uh, here, but we need to release that kind of control and then empower our students to have control over their learning. And, and and there's also a fear over here when we release control to the student. Uh, what will happen to their learning if they don't learn? Yeah, I think that's the perennial fear of a teacher, including myself, when I first started. I I, I think we need that's the reason why there's the need for equipping the teachers with new skills like this. About uh, you to admit to ourselves that we don't have all the answers. And we perhaps need to work closely with uh, our other colleagues with different specialties. And then start to look at uh, uh, creating the kind of learning outcomes that best meet our students' need, best meet their future need. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think uh, I, I'll, I'll give an example. I'll give an example about uh, not from my current experience, but from my previous experience teaching in institutions that believe very much in uh, problem-based learning. As you can see, one of my, uh, my, my, my passion is that continue to be involved in problem-based learning and that spans, uh, we, we, we call ourselves the um, PEN-PBL, right? Uh, over, it started in North America, very active in the South America. And right now we are connecting the whole world in, in this, this, this drive to that. And so I was teaching this module called Marketing Management. Right, using a problem-based learning pedagogy uh, with my students. And so it's very exciting for them. They learn together, collaborate with one another, solve a problem, uh, and do their research, present it, co-construct. They will argue that uh, very exciting learning space. So one of the things that is important for a problem-based learning environment is that reflective learning. So at the reflective learning part of the work, we require to set uh, what we call a reflection question for students to write about it and to deeply consider that is as a consolidation of learning for their particular lesson. So a lot of times uh, the standard question, some 
lecturer will do will say that, oh, how was the learning process like? How can he learn better? Or that kind of questions, which is quite common. For me, I didn't think that that helped my student to learn, to help them consolidate their learning, making sense of their questions in in, in, in their everyday life, in an in authentic learning environment. So authentic learning is very important for uh, problem-based learning or, or for learning, period. And so I would give questions such as, you know, when you teach marketing, there's this, this thing called pricing strategies. So I said, okay, I'd like you to go to a retail outlet or a, a, a supermarket of your choice, go anywhere, and then analyze the way in which their various vendors do the pricing. For example, can you identify what is predator pricing? Can you identify what is uh, loss leader kind of pricing strategy? And then from that itself, uh, discuss what, connect that with what we have learned in the class that day. And my students always complain and say, oh, is it, is it fancy? Yeah, that is the way they call us, facilitator. Your questions are always so difficult. You know, is that, can't you set easier questions like, like those that I just mentioned earlier. I said, well, my question to them is that those easier questions, does it have any meaning to do with what you learn in the classroom? They very honestly told me that no, uh, but help them to score. <laughs> uh, but my question to them, how about my question? That Does it help you to, you know, you struggle, but at the end of the day, do you learn better? The answer is yes. So from there, I said, so I won't change. I will continue to set tough questions. I will continue to set that. Uh, my, my students didn't quite appreciate all that at the point of time when they were struggling in my class, trying to get better grades uh, out from me. Uh, but at the end, end of the semester, or maybe much later than that, uh, I, I think a few of them, not many, came back and tell me that, that those, those were valuable learning experience for them. Because the struggle, not only that they remember correctly, they are able to connect with the content and they are able to use it in their workplace uh, in the graduated. So, so with, with that example, I just want to emphasize the point that, um, you know, authentic learning, uh, a lot of people say, nah, the students, they don't get to work in company. How do they know how to apply, you know, marketing strategies, such big terms and all that. But I think if you think hard enough, you need to think about the kind of environment in which our students are familiar with. You know, supermarket is not difficult. It is not a company, but you can pick up those points and, and you were thinking, yeah, so, so the, the thinking harder, digging deeper for teachers, it requires a kind of uh, core skills uh, to understand users, understand, again, you know, customer-centric, learner-centered. So you, you need to walk the talk by uh, empathizing the students, walking with them, and uh, really trying to find out uh, how, you know, it's a, that's the difficult part to do. Uh, for educators, we if if we can't think of one, are we willing to talk to another colleague? They say I don't have the answer for it. Uh, can we think of a new way, and then we can share this lesson plan with one another? I think this is the difficult part. Yes, and probably my next question is a bit is even a bit more difficult because having all these concepts in mind, so authentic learning, having in mind the future needs, uh, all the idea of shapers of character what do you expect to see or what would you like to see in the learning space in the coming years ah uh, that's a very good question about uh, the learning space over here the strategies that we get about um i i think a lot of times um 
I think one of the fundamental problems is, again, a lot of research that comes up from uh, my colleagues in this field would be the way our concept of uh, what education is. So very much for those of us who make our career in education, we tend to equate, or rather most people would tend to equate, um, you know, schooling as an education. I just want to quote something from Mark Twain. Mark Twain says, uh, what did Mark Twain say? Uh, he says, I never let my schooling interfere with my education. Uh, as early as that, that stage, Mark already know that, uh, you know, education is a lifelong thing. Education goes beyond the classroom. Uh, and there's so much learning that takes place beyond the classroom. I think this important part over here for us right now, as I was trying to uh, explain earlier with my stories and examples, is that we need to connect, helping students to connect that learning never stops in school uh, and or beyond school. And, and, and the way that we look at schooling today needs uh, a fundamental change. Look at the way that we sit in the classroom, right? In conventional classroom, everyone sit on their own, uh, it's very neat and tidy. Easy, easy, some teacher will say that oh, it's easier to maintain discipline in the classroom when they sit apart, not too close together. When you put them together, they tend to be noisy. Well, collaborative, collaborative learning requires them to talk to one another. Of course, it has to be noisy. Uh, and and the, the concept, the, our concept of uh, a productive classroom needs to change. Uh, and and noise is good. Productive noise is good. Right, of course, playing a fool, uh, making fun of one another is part and parcel of that, and require a bit of training in uh, classroom management, of course. Uh, and the concept of uh, everyone, students of certain age of the same grade, why should it be that way? Certain students will exhibit certain talent in certain things, certain capability beyond their age group, and it's very frustrating. You know, he said. If I'm so good in programming and my mathematics, I'm at grade six, for example, but I can do something better than someone in grade 10 or 11, but I'm stuck with my friends who are doing very basic programming. It's actually a very frustrating thing for students. Why is it that we can't, can't let students take courses that's beyond their, their grade, their age? We are, we are, we are you know, it's like stifling their kind of... Uh, Curiosity, as you mentioned, a very important part for, for children to, to learn. He said, why can't we create a system whereby allow students of different ages to form a group and, 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 and project group, right? Someone can be of uh, grade 6 and another person from grade 11. And if the grade 6 person can do better and can win the respect of the older kids in the school, why not? And the grade 6 kid that I just mentioned is that very good in mathematics, but uh, language skill may be a bit not so good. It's no shame that you join another class of lower grade when it comes to language class. I think this is the kind of problem that we have with that. We don't have a school system such that allows this kind of uh, messiness, uh, but very effective for students to not only learn, but also the motivation to learn. Uh, and uh, I, I think, um, as I say this, uh, there are some experimental schools that I know of uh, that have really started on this. I think they are, have some astoundingly good result to report. Uh, it's messy. It's not easy. Yeah, it probably cannot do in a very big scale. Uh, education uh, policymakers will probably frown on that, that kind of uh, setup. But I think, as you mentioned about, uh, you know, 
creating school environments for the future. I think the future is messy, right? Or in a way, I shouldn't say messy or unknown. It's uncomfortable. Uh, I, I think it is important for us to have that kind of experimentation. Uh, and uh, class sizes, let's go small for some uh, to, to, to experiment with some of this kind of structure. And we should conduct studies. Uh, that's where you know my colleagues and I we would like to come in and conduct studies and uh, and report them, and to whatever works we we will amplify that scale that whatever doesn't work we will tweak and change that. I think a lot of that kind of work needs to be done. Uh, bull experimentation, of course, we are talking about the lives of students. Yeah, we we can't jeopardize their future, and uh, with uh, the kind of managed risk and balance, uh, we think I, I think we need to do a lot more. Yeah, yes, and 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 this is this of course makes me think because well I'm asking myself and it's really the one of the main purposes of this podcast this idea of sustainable innovation and of and and one of the main things for me to build sustainable innovation is really cultivating curiosity mm. yes. within our workspace, but going back to school and to this place where you are trained, mm. if you are able to really plant the seed of curiosity by facilitating these learning spaces in which there is a bit more of noise and uncertainty, but you can like explore different things, then this skill will already mm. be within these these students, future professionals, and this will really allow every industry to be a bit more innovation friendly and probably less resistant given that since the beginning, this kind of mindset was provided, I don't know, I'm yeah. in the correct track or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Totally agree with you, uh, Anna. Is that, uh, that, that's the reason why I'm such a firm believer in problem-based learning. Yeah? Because problem-based learning begins with this, what's the problem? So that's what, you know, in a lot of industry they are talking about. They are, they are, they are not interested in uh, what does this problem fall under which expertise? Is it a math problem? Is it a science problem? Or is it a humanities problem? Nobody cares about that, right? So if there's a problem uh, in the community or uh, our customer, we just need to uh, solve that problem. So we need to unpack uh, what do we need? Uh, uh, do we have those things to solve the problem? Do we have the knowledge to solve But Then you start to go backwards and say, oh, we need this expertise, we need that expertise. We need to form a team that has people with certain expertise together. So we, we, we need to cultivate that kind, in a way, working backwards. It's not, this is in real life. This is authentic. So how, how, what about our learning, our, our school structure right now? Yeah, we teach them what English or language is silo, mathematics and silo. Uh, this is physics, this is chemistry, this is bio. Are, are they related? Of course we know that they are related. But why are we teaching it in such a way that uh, they are not related at all? And we expect the students to graduate and then make sense out of that. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to anybody, in fact. So that's the reason why, you know, when I first started teaching, I said, wow, it took me, what, 12 years before I can understand that I suffered through uh, the calculus class 
I didn't quite know that it's so useful to analyze the stock market. So, so that's, that's when I said, oh, if I ever become a teacher, I'll make sure that my students appreciate that from day one when they get involved in calculus. Yeah. So I said, oh, this is so useful to learn trigonometry, right? Because I have no idea what's, why triangles are so important until I realized, oh, this help us to do things, calculate things, uh, uh, in, in, in creating engineering solutions, even without uh, um, the instruments, were certain things to do. So I said, why wasn't it taught to us? Mathematics was like, to me, just equation after equation, and that's it. There's no meaning to that. There's no context so, to, to all those. So those are the kind of, uh, of, uh, of motivation I had when I first become a teacher. So over the years that we, we, we come to this point over here, is that we shouldn't be teaching subjects on its own without meaning, without context. And because the, it, it doesn't make sense in the real world. So that's the reason why uh, we, we, we keep hearing that instead of teaching uh, mathematics, science on its own, we should be doing STEM education. Science, technology intertwined with engineering and mathematics. So, so that's what the world it is that we are right now. And in fact, new technology comes up so quickly. And, and, and what's the fundamental knowledge behind that? Uh, it evolves as well. So we need to get our students plugged into that. And so the way that we, we create the learning environment for them to, to, to learn and experience that kind of learning needs to blend together. Then, of course, definitely, digital technology plays a very good part in supporting that, uh, enable them to learn beyond the boundaries, as simple as, well, the access to Google, right? Enable them to search for so much, to do their research beyond what we could have done when I was a student in school, right? And creating an environment in which it's as nifty as easy for them to access uh, and for them to be able to uh, ask questions and be able to solve problems on their ownership. I think that's tremendously important. Yeah. And I hope you Yes, and I think what you just said really brings me to my last question, which is skills for the future. Mm. What do you think are the skills that we need or that students will need to thrive in the coming years? Wow. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very loaded question, but I must admit, yeah, because, uh, uh, you know, in Singapore, I think as well as in many parts of the world, we are talking about uh, the future, particularly pre-COVID, we are talking about Industrial 4.0, uh, that uh, we our workforce are graduated into a world that our uh, forefathers have never known, or even ourselves have not experienced, uh, and uh, skills, knowledge, obsolete on the day, even before they graduate, I think that's the reality that things are moving so quickly. Uh, so for that matter, uh, uh, you, you know, particularly for those of us in science, we know that uh, science is not a precise thing. Uh, things get updated when we discover new things. So in a way, we are prepared in a way that ah, we accept these facts for a time until we can come up with a test to learn more about a certain subject matter. So similarly, I, I suppose well, we can borrow that for uh, what is considered knowledge for us uh, in real life. So I think with that kind of acceptance, I think it's a mindset, uh, not just skills. It goes beyond uh, skills. Uh, there are certain mindset over here is that uh, the agility to learn, 
Uh, so, so in, in human resource management, uh, we talk about uh, successful leaders, right? Successful leaders has very high in uh, learning agility. Problems come up very, very often. And, and then the team always tend to the leaders, oh, what should we do? What should we do? So the learning agility, uh, the leaders must be authentic enough to, to, to admit that, hey, I don't have all the answers, but we need, let's, let's define the problem and start learning how to solve the problem. I think the admission to that, uh, that we are in this kind of uh, world right now, and that we need to imbue in our students the kind of learning agility, uh, and which is related to curiosity that we mentioned earlier. So the important thing to do is that we, we, we must not snuff, smolder that kind of curiosity, that's one, when they are young. Uh, don't tell them that there's only one answer to a solution even though the way that they explain in a very novice manner may not be very elegant, but allow them to struggle. Set them high expectations, set them difficult questions to, to nurture that kind of uh, habits of coming out with different solutions, a diversity of solutions, and uh, only arrive, help them to make, help themselves to make decisions of, of all the different options of solutions, which one is the best uh, solution that will best fit that situation. Uh, there are many different solutions that may be better for another situation. I think we need to help our learners to think that way, the agility to learn of uh, different options. I, I think if you look at it, uh, tech startups founders, they tend to have very high quotient of that. They are able to, to you know, pivot very quickly uh, because one solution doesn't work this time around, but they don't throw that away. They will probably revisit that another time if situation shift and change. So, if we want our students to be able to survive the future, I think this is one core skills that they have, they must have uh, in order to do so. And then the other skills uh, perhaps also interrelated to what uh, the educators need to do is to uh, uh, create um, a, a learning environments that go beyond subject uh, uh, boundaries, right? So whatever that is good to learn, they should learn. It shouldn't be this concept of left brain, right brain, or I'm a more left brain, so I should do well in math and science. I'm not a humanity person, so I shouldn't uh, venture into humanities. I, I think that's we need to break that kind of uh, thoughts. We need to allow students to go beyond that kind of, uh, you know, limiting yourself in thinking about that. So then as educator, we need to set the example. I'm most willing to, I, I, I'm, I'm science trained. But I always call myself a misfit of science because I think like a man's person, but I'm not a human's uh, trained. So I make mistakes when I start to use terms that I always borrow from my friends. I, I, I ask my friends who are steeped in language and literature and humanities, please educate me in what you have. I think we, we, we need to have that kind of, uh, of, of humility to learn from one another. Yeah. And we, we create the kind of learning environment for our students to do so. And so they have the kind of questions of always uh, having this divine dissatisfaction. I would say that I, I, I didn't know that I had that uh, earlier in life. Uh, it's only later in my in my studies, my work, that I realized that oh, I'm one of those people who have the divine dissatisfaction from curiosity, from learning agility. We need to develop the kind of divine dissatisfaction. Uh, I, I suppose uh, the tech. Big tech founders, uh, they, they have that kind of defined dissatisfaction. They are not happy with what life is. Uh, they, they are not dissatisfied because of complaints and all that. They try to find a way to solve the problem. Always looking for a better way to do things. Asking questions of not why, but why not. 
let's try this. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm not sure whether I answered your questions, uh, but uh, I think that's what I can offer. So this was it for today. Thank you so much for listening, for staying until the end of this episode. I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope you have found this conversation inspiring. Um, I'll see you the next time. <laughs>